Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute is a great exercise to get you out of the sagittal plane and into the frontal, and that is the K-Box lateral squat. With one leg off the box, you're going to give the wheel a spin and really sink into the hip of the leg that's on the box. While you're doing this, you want to try to keep that back leg straight to really stretch out those adductors and really drive your pelvis as hard as you can up and over to the side off the box. Make sure you give yourself a counterweight with this because when you give the K-Box a good push here, it's going to want to give a little bit. So make sure you set yourself up there. But this is really an awesome exercise, again, to get you out of that sagittal plane, open up your hips. Guys, give this one a try. I'm sure it's one you're going to love. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat? Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. John, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thanks for having me, Jay. This is awesome, man. Yeah, man, I'm stoked to get this down. I'm glad we got to chop it up a little bit here before we get started. But for the, Same. the the quarter of a human being who doesn't know who John is and where you're at, let's let them know who you are and how you got down to Florida, bud. Cool. Um, well, this is actually home, so I got back, uh, to be honest with you. I was, um, I've been here at North Broward Prep, which is a a private school in South Florida, Broward County, Coconut Creek, Florida, um, which is the northernmost city in Broward County. Um, not far from the area that I grew up in. Uh, been here seven years. Uh, prior to that, I was at Rutgers University for a short time. Prior to that, I was at the University of North Texas, which was where I completed my graduate degree um, and athletic career. Um, and before that, my undergrad was Wagner College up in Staten Island. Um, now I've been here seven years, director of strength and conditioning. Um, also for the last four or five years, I've been the school's head track and field coach. So that was, that came on a little bit later. I guess it's not new anymore per se, um, but but track and field was kind of something that was a was an added hat that I ha added to the, um, to the annual calendar. That's been something that's been really, in my opinion, beneficial to our strength and conditioning program, but also I don't think anything's helped me grow as much as a coach as um, focusing on the track events, at least for a, you know, a few months out of the year um, and continuing to meet, not just, not just in the sport and not just coaching the kids, but also some of the coaches that might've, they might fly under the radar uh, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, or you know, maybe there hasn't been a connection previously between strength and conditioning coaches and some of the local track coaches, but um, having the opportunity to meet some of these track coaches locally um, at the state level uh, we just finished up our state meet. I think it's just helped me 
a ton and and from a track standpoint but also in in what we're doing in the weight room for our multi-sport kids i love everything about that because i think that you know in I've joked with Ken Clark about this and, and I've joked with Matt Tomey about this and, and some of these other guys that, that we know that about how it's just kind of become funny that all of a sudden it's cool to be fast again. Like and yeah. it's important all of a sudden to time people and get people faster. Mm -hmm. So being able to run a program like you've been able to build, especially for these kids in that like 14 to 18 year old wheelhouse where they're able to get even a bit more out of it, um, I think is super important to their overall athletic development. And let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about how being the track coach has helped with the strength and conditioning program and it, how it's helped with the entire athletic department as a whole. Sure. Um, big picture. Um, big picture, I'll, I'll start with what you finished with, athletic department. It's, it's our biggest program on campus, which is uh, a positive reflection uh, toward our coaching staff. But also, we spoke a little bit off air about like casting a wide net. I've always wanted to cast a wide net in terms of what we do in the weight room. And reason being, um, being at a high school in South Florida, it's different from Texas. It's different from Georgia. Um, most of our coaches on campus are actually off campus. They're not, they're not full-time staff members. So our coaches have a lot going on. Um, so it's not a relationship necessarily like you would probably see at the college level. It's probably not a relationship that you would see at a school in Texas or Georgia. And that's not discrediting what we do here. It's just, and my, my dad was a high school, is still is a high school football coach, but now we're actually a lacrosse coach, but now he's in the classroom setting all of my life, he wasn't. He was running a landscaping business um, and, and coaching uh, basically after work. Some of our coaches, that's what they do. It's, that's how Florida works. It's, there's very few coaches that are full-time coaches. So understanding that, largely the relationships that had to be built, um, and I think that's also kind of the model of our school, uh, was dependent on developing a relationship with the kid, but also more importantly, the parents and the families. So in terms of getting our kids involved in our strength and conditioning program to take a little bit off of our coach's plate i wanted to build relationships with the kids and we measure success based on how many students we have involved in our program which again that's grown that's been a success story merging the, the track and field program with the strength program at least in the spring in those few months of the spring winter through the spring um, we now were able to not only get that number of students that were probably involved in, our, in their off-season training at that time out to the track, we also were able to kind of mix in some of the track athletes that weren't previously in the weight room um, in there. And also a large measure of success for us there is how many of those kids, if they were only track, are now all of a sudden open to trying football or trying soccer or helping, we're, we're a small private school. So multi-sport participation is important everywhere. For us, it's essential. If we don't have it, we're not gonna find very much success. Um, so being able to merge those two programs, I think has been a huge success for us. Um, not only with the students doing multiple sports, I also kind of like to find coaches that coach multiple sports as well because Number one, they'll immediately have that relationship built with the kids. We've got a couple of our football coaches that are on our track staff. 
immediately they have a relationship with the kids that they can help with um but also kind of brings them out you know it kind of it's kind of like a magnet of bringing more kids out there so volume of participation for our students is a big metric a big number for us um so that's kind of what has moved the needle for what we want to do um and has been a big piece of of merging those two and that's what it has become if if you're a if you're a football player for us you're you're on the track team because you're expected to be at your at your spring workouts and your spring workouts are track and field so we might have a student that you know say maybe for instance like an undersized linebacker that their commitment maybe on a given year would be more to the weight room at that time of year number one for sure speed is still a necessity um, but number two maybe they're not a sprinter for us on the track maybe they're not a thrower you know they need some more time in the weight room or some more time on the track that they're still developing and they're still committing to the weight room we're not missing our lifts especially for those football for those multi-sport kids um but their training is a little more track driven a little bit more on the uh, end of linear speed um development at that time of year than maybe would be you know if we were just thinking let's prepare for spring football it might be a little bit different from that um and then once our our spring season wraps up uh, we go right into our summer program, which is when I basically take the track hat off and we go right into our summer workouts and preparing whether they're a fall sport, whether they're a winter sport, spring sport, whatever it may be. Hopefully those kids are participating in multiple sports. Um, and again, in the summer, I'm treating it as their off-season strength and conditioning. There's, there's actually minimal time on the track, uh, still committing time to speed development, but we'll probably get more multi-directional, um, a little bit more time spent through acceleration certainly more field-based than it would be track-based um, that, you know, it takes kind of changing the guard at a couple points at different points in the year. Um, but it has really helped us um, develop that annual plan and, and kind of become a centerpiece for the athletic program, which I think is what every school's track and field program should be quite frankly. No. And you know, when you sit here and we talk about all this stuff, right. I think it's neat that you, you brought up how much doing this has helped you as a strength coach, because a lot of us as strength coaches want to take these different aspects of track and field and try to mold them into different avenues of like specificity when it comes to team sport, mm -hmm. when in reality, that's just going to end out being general, right? And Absolutely. if you're not having spring ball, you're talking about building general qualities and linear speed as your first aspect of your annual training cycle. Right. If anyone were to sit there and actually dive into what, say, Verkashansky talked about, it's exactly that. Like yeah. you get better going that way, and then Correct. you figure out how to go side to side. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. The calendar is set up pretty well for that. Um, and that's exactly the, the model that we've set again in the summer, spending a lot more time on the field. I might have some kids I've, I have very few that are track only. And usually if they are, they're probably on the distance end and they're running cross country anyways. Um, but most of our kids, we want to get them in cleats, changing direction, certainly before we go um, whether it be their fall sport, soccer for us is a winter sport. For, so for some of those kids, we have a little more time with them. 
Um, but yeah, we definitely want to treat the summer and getting a little more um, specific. And they'll also kind of start to integrate our, our position work with, with some of our, I'm speaking of fall, we could be volleyball or, or football uh, for the most part would be who I'm speaking of there. So then let's get into some of that, right? Let's, let's talk a little bit here about how there have been changes to how you handle some of these fall sport guys. Like, let's mainly, let's talk, let's talk football since that's okay. going to be the one that's going to be the most traditional calendar, I guess, for most of the people that listen in, mm -hmm. in America. Let's talk about how that's evolved through the track season, because what's awesome about that is like at the end of the day, like the clock doesn't lie. So we know what we're doing and how successful we are and how we're moving forward. Right. No, absolutely. Um, and it's, again, as I had kind of mentioned, you have, obviously with football, you have different positions, which also seemingly, I feel like work really well with some of the track events. A lot of our linemen are going to be throwers. Um, our receivers, more springy, fastly driven guys might be my triple jumpers. Um, we might have some, a wide range of guys that are in the sprint events. A, a thing with my, um, with our track and field program is everybody is going to train as a sprinter. And that also includes the throwers who are going to be in our sprint workouts. Now, if we're working something that is a little bit more specific to the sprinting events, more specifically, maybe 200, 400 events, um, where the yards slash the meters can kind of add up throwers will be out of that, you know, because that's not an, a need for them at that point. Um, but everybody's going to train as sprinters. Everybody is going to, I mean, some of our linemen might for fun, but um, everybody else is going to probably run at least one, one, one month, 100 meter dash at some point in the year. And then again, if we can find them another event, that might be where we kind of spend a little bit more time on specificity of that event. But with our, our football guys, I would say really probably the change would be, again, just as I had kind of mentioned, we're, we're spending a, more time from a linear standpoint, meaning linear speed development at this time of year versus maybe in previous years, I would go a block of training where we almost were exclusive to the weight room. Um, at that point of the year. And then again, once, you know, maybe March hit, we would start really preparing for spring ball and then we would have spring ball and then we would come out of the summer and we would go into our normal summer program, which hasn't changed all that much. The lens that I see through as a track coach now, I think has changed a lot in my coaching philosophy, a lot in my cueing for sure. Um, a lot in what I'm writing down from an X's and O's standpoint, meaning even in the summer, I'm still looking for some of those things now, maybe subconsciously, it might be the track coach in me doing a little scouting for the next year and kind of seeing who's uh, going to be uh, some of my sprinters for the next year, whether we got new guys coming in or whether we've got, you know, somebody that has uh, gone from eighth to ninth grade or somebody that's hit a growth spurt or something like that. I always kind of see through that lens, no matter what, but from a training and programming philosophy, um, I think it's still, I still has, have kept a, a thread of it, so to speak, throughout the year um, from a max velocity linear speed development standpoint. So that's changed a little bit too. Um, the, so just as I said, maybe the concentration 
of the weight room versus what's happening on the happening on the track has um, flipped a little bit. You know, it's track first, both literally and figuratively. That you know what's happening out there is happening first, and then you know what's happening in the weight room is secondary. But still, for those multi-sport kids, the emphasis is in the weight room. We still have a strong emphasis in there. Um, but again, it's changed a little bit just in terms of, uh, I guess how the approach, um, programming for it a little bit, as I had mentioned, um, uh, but definitely just kind of the emphasis and concentration has, has changed a little bit as well. I love it. And I think that one thing that I would be really interested to hear, because like you said, the track is first, mm-hmm. how does splitting it up and having that first impact the mindset and kind of the motivation of of the kids like knowing that like it could be a long time if you're training from january to august to prepare for football but now knowing that you have that stopwatch or you have that laser timer that you're training for Mm -hmm. and and you're trying to hit another goal in the middle how has that improved just the quality of training that these kids are, are putting in and their mental state. Sure. Um, a couple of things. Number one, like you said, when we, when we just get kind of tunnel vision on one select sport, especially football, especially football, that's a very, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the words to use, but can be kind of masculine and, and very rah-rah driven. It can be a lot and it can be taxing and it can be um, it, when you, when you consider that you're doing that, if you're doing that 12 months out of the year and there's no break from it, um, I think a lot is put on our students, not just physically, but also mentally. So one of the things about track, number one is it's a co-ed sport. Um, number two, it's, it's a very, uh, my, my personal belief is to allow it to be a very social environment for our kids. We're not going out there and making it like something that's a super tense, um, super strict environment. I want our kids to enjoy it. Otherwise they don't have to be there so they can not be. And if they really hate what we're doing and don't see any value in it and aren't seeing progression, both on the track and in whatever, maybe their primary sport is, they're probably not going to come and join us, which would be a, a major failure for our track program and also myself as the coach. So I want it to be an environment like that. And I also still, our football guys, our multi-sport kids, and even when I use football guys, I'm still kind of including some of the other sports in it, like our soccer kids that really help out on the track too. There's a variety of sports, those multi-sport kids that know not only am I their track coach, I'm also their strength and conditioning coach. And sometimes we do have to get a little bit tougher on them and a little bit stricter on them. They know that it's not, although it's, although it might be an enjoyable environment, it ought not be a a playful environment necessarily, or maybe although it's a playful environment, it's not just playtime. It's not just time to go out and uh, hang out and be wasting time. So to what what track helps with that most and what in what many coaches have um, heralded over the last many years in timing sprints, whether it be through practice or just purely at the meets, there's that consistent measure of how and track of, of how we're progressing. 
that motivates the kids almost exclusively in itself. Yeah, some of the things that we do as coaches, I think there's a there's a time and a place. They know if we have a tough workout that I'm probably going to speak more on that day than I am on any other. And it's more so words of encouragement or challenging um, than it is necessarily cueing or uh, coaching per se. Um, and all of that to say this, that I want track to be an environment that allows them to get out of the mindset of football. So it's an enjoyable environment, but I also want them to be driven enough that it's not the break from football necessarily. It's something else that they're committing themselves to so that their mind can be so displaced from whatever their primary sport is that they can focus on something else. And hopefully that makes sense. I know that was a long winded way of saying it, but I want them, I want them to have the motivation. I want them to have the drive that they care enough about it that they forget about that primary sport. Not because I don't want them to be good in that other sport, but because that for our soccer kids that play travel soccer all year, for our football kids that probably do seven on seven at that point in the year and are thinking about the weight room, things like that. I want them to have something that they care enough about that it gets their mind off of that, um, which is ultimately the model and the, you know, the, the idea of our track program. Well, and that's just what's best. You know, we love to talk about mental health for these kids and burnout and all this and that. But if you can actually, this is going to sound weird, but if you can actually like Jedi mind trick them into buying into preparing more because they don't think they're preparing because they're having fun chasing a goal in a different aspect. Yep. Isn't that what we're all trying to freaking do anyway? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you just have a bunch of kids that are coming out there to track practice instead of us sitting here trying to run a speed session. Yep. Yeah, you're right. That's right. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And now we've got coaches that want to take aspects of track and try to do it during football with spring ball or all the seven on seven mm -hmm. stuff where what we could do because we're 10 months away, is pull that other part out and use this time to let the kids have something else to focus on. Absolutely. Maybe heaven forbid they have fun doing it so that no they way. come out and they work harder so that not only do they enjoy it, but if they like it and they work harder, you would just have to assume the results are going to be better. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think that that's awesome, man. And now let's tie that in then with some of the more team sport type activities that you do. Because, you know, if anybody follows you on Instagram, and we'll get into that at the end. You know, you see uh, a bit of a Bosch influence. You see a bunch of wickets. You see a bunch of different drivers with the arms and things of that nature when it comes to working on strides and all of that. How does that then impact in moving forward as we start talking about multidirectional abilities and things of that nature? Yeah, well, it's... I think like everything else, it's a continuum and like everything else, it's not, we, 
are doing linear work through our state championship was May 8th. And now today we're going to go into our illustrious agility programming. That's not what it's going to be. We're going to um, make sure that like everything else, it's progressive in nature. Understand with the end goal in mind that, um, you know, maybe it's going from purely linear to a curvilinear to a, um, you know, a pre-planned uh, change of direction to a true agility session. And that's kind of how we're progressing and preparing them for their fall sport. If it's a winter sport, maybe we have a little bit more time with them. Um, like I said, the thread of linear speed is always paramount to us for a variety of reasons. I think the, um, I think the training stimulus is hard to be mimicked by anything else and, and carries over to everything else we can do. So that's never completely removed from what we do. Um, but again, in preparing the students for the stresses and the stimuli of the sport, um, it's on us to introduce it in itself in a training environment, um, in a more controlled environment. So um, the from a, a wickets go away when we're preparing for um, football, soccer season, whatever it may be, unless it's in a situation that I've got a kid that wants to get extra work, extra speed work or something like that. Um, I just, and actually quite frankly with wickets, um, many might be surprised to hear this, but I actually don't bring the wickets out for track practice. That's actually for students that really commit themselves and show that they want to get extra work. Not because for the, for the main reason of, I've got everyone from a, from sixth grade girls that are like, what the heck's going on out here to you know, a 12th grade soccer football player that's going to a power five school and we're training together largely. Um, we're still in groups, but in many ways, I'm a person that um, one of my struggles, I suppose, is if, if I were to spread myself too thin. So if I'm thinking like we're going to do different things for everybody and it's going to be completely unique, um, that's I really struggle with that. Um, and I would get frustrated and I would get frustrated with the kids and it's not fair to them that I didn't design a better practice plan if that's what I did. So um, to the, the, what that then turned into was, yes, you hit it on the head with uh, certainly reading some Bosch work and kind of that was probably the first influence of like any of the constraint-based sprints or different hand positions in the sprints um, because uh, I'm not sure if somebody was doing it before, but he was the first person that I read or seen um, using like true overhead sprinting um, type methods um, that then I started to think about, okay, so if wickets were an essential for me or something that I felt like was, I don't know if I'd say a non-negotiable, but I certainly liked the um, outcome from utilizing the wickets. How then can we apply or what then can we apply to that large range of students and large range of athletic ability, personality, um, just a wide range of kids? What then could we do to still kind of introduce some of the same principles of wickets, introduce some of the biomechanical uh, ideas um, or inclinations or um, thoughts that might be um, a, you know, because with, with sprint biomechanics, sure, there's, there's certain models that seem to be across everybody. And we talked a little bit about DK off 
off air. Um, but nine different sprinters on the sprinting on the starting line. If you looked at a picture of them, sure, DK's like head and shoulders larger than everybody else on the line, but everybody's body type's different. And if if Metcalf was lined up next to Bolt, now Metcalf wouldn't look so tall, but he would still look like a monster with how how swole he is. Um, point being, everybody's gonna have a different model, but I think there's certain rules and you know um, that that all of us are going to follow um, and break. Um, and enabling the students, one of the great things about wickets, in my opinion, is still enabling the students to create or come up with or solve their own uh, and, and, and come up with their own solution. So finding methods that can kind of replace the wickets uh, without necessarily replacing the wickets has been a large piece there. Um, and then again, that, so that's not necessarily, we're not necessarily going to be using wickets through our team sport training. Um, but some of the same principles are going to carry over from our track season into that as well. No, I love that. Cause I think that especially with younger people, the more you can just guide them and allow them lack of a better term to figure out how not to trip. Mm-hmm when we're talking about wickets, the better off they're going to be in the long run. Right. That's brilliant. Well, listen, John, this is some awesome stuff, man. And I, what I really appreciate about what you're doing is you're not afraid to, to throw it out there and share it. And, and you put out a lot of great stuff. So where can people see what you're doing with these kids and, and find out more of, of how you're implementing these strategies and building the program down there? Uh, Instagram is definitely the best. That's where I share the most and probably communicate the most, um, which would be coach underscore Garish, G-A-R-R-I-S-H. Um, I'm on Twitter as well, but, um, you know, I don't, <laughs> for a wide variety of reasons, I don't really love sharing on Twitter anymore. Um, and that, I think that's at John underscore Garish. Um, got, just got too many people with too much to say on Twitter, to be honest with you. You can kind of filter on Instagram a little bit more. Um, but so, yeah, I'm still on Twitter. I usually just retweet and, and share, you know, a lot of what our kids are doing on campus, um, promote some of our, uh, uh, you know, other sessions. I'll do like a free speech session on Saturdays and things like that, that I like to promote there as well, just so the, the larger community can see that. Um, but most of my more specific stuff, the stuff that I'm not afraid to kind of go out on a limb. And if somebody has, uh, feedback they can they can certainly just send me a message on on instagram you know and i don't mind that but twitter can get too uh too negative to be honest with you um that that i've kind of i've kind of stayed away from it in recent years yeah I'm, I'm with you on the whole twitter thing man i don't it's it's just not i don't know it's not what it, what it could be and it's kind of frustrating oh yeah but you do, man. You put out a lot of great stuff and a lot of people can take a lot from it. So I hope, you know, obviously we're going to have the, the handle in the show notes and I hope people take advantage of it and give you a follow and, you know, check your stories every day because it, it seems like, you know, that there's at least some aspect of practice that is popping up there every day, whether it be what you've got these young people doing in the weight room or a different drill or what you're looking at. Um, and also like the, the film breakdown is rad. Thank you. Like, that's really neat. I appreciate so, that. Yeah. Like if people don't understand what I'm saying, okay. Um, 
go find that little square with the circle and the Instagram app, go in there, type in his handle or tap it in the show notes and scroll back a little bit in, in his, uh, in his profile. Cause you do a really cool job when it comes to as a yes, this guy, like doc does that too. Like he has like the, the pictures only his aren't like one picture yeah. like yours is his. You got to like, walk, like look through the whole page. Right. right. Um, but I think that's, super cool and has helped me a lot so i appreciate you doing taking the time to do that. that and putting out the work man that's great and no thanks a lot and i appreciate everything you're doing to try to help us all be better and try to figure out some of the things that you know that dutch guy is talking about doing because i think that some of it might be a little bit misinterpreted um but it's good to see people using different methods and getting great results yeah i, I you know in terms of just you know, I know that uh, Bosch's work has certainly been, it, it can be confusing in itself and, and just trying to grow to understand it. I think a lot of coaches, whether it be language barrier, you know, some really great influences from other places um, and continuing to learn from them. Um, but also just understanding, even if, even if it's just taking, you know, a little bit of information or a little bit of advice from coaches that have been doing a you know wide array of things I think that's something that's I've found most helpful with our students and and you know first and foremost again kind of working backward understanding the kids that we're with understanding as I said that I I am a biomechanically driven coach from a sprint standpoint but also in terms of what we're doing in the weight room so then finding ways that if I know that wickets is a, is something that we want to utilize, but maybe it's not the most appropriate solution for our kids, um, finding somebody that's done something that, that will provide benefit for our kids, um, you know, has been something that's really been most helpful for me, but also, you know, grateful on behalf of the profession that, that coaches are willing to step out and, and share what they've done. Yeah, man. Well, you're doing a killer job with that, brother. And I truly appreciate your time today and appreciate all you're doing to help us grow, John. And this is great, man. I can't thank you enough for your time, buddy. Appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you for all that you do. And thank you for considering me. And, um, you know, it's it's a great honor to be on here and, and just be able to chat. So thank you for taking interest. Thank you for taking interest in what our kids are doing. And um, if just as you mentioned, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, if anybody's got feedback on anything, I'm willing to hear it as well. Well, I appreciate that, John. And thank you so much for your time, man. This is awesome. And we'll be in touch real soon, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, man. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Yes, sir.